Um, we're going to be continuing this, the series, Word of God. Um, and today, um, the title is Graced, or the subtitle would be Graced. And I really think it's important for us to um, kind of hone in on the perspective or what's behind why God has chosen to communicate with us. Often, communication can be broken because we don't really understand the intent of the words that are coming from the other person. Um, I was talking to my wife this morning about our children, and um, I'm so thankful that God has, in his infinite wisdom, designed sports, you know, youth leagues and things like that, because our kids have an abundance of energy. And so them being able to go play football, to cheerlead. I mean, if you go to my house, you'll see my daughter just doing backhand springs in the middle of the living room for no reason. I'm like, what, what are you doing? I got boys who play football, they run track and things like that. And so one of the things that my wife and I, we really want to communicate to them is the need to drink water. But you know, communication is broken down at times because when my son gets the orange juice or some apple juice and he starts to pour it and he hears me say, hey man, have you drank any water today? It doesn't seem like he's receiving that with a lot of love. Like, Dad, you know what? I know your best interest for me is at heart right here. I really hear what you say. I believe his reaction is saying, hey, man, what are you doing? Water don't taste as good as orange juice, and there's nothing wrong with orange juice. But one day he went to practice, and I asked him coming home, hey, Chris, how did things go? I shouldn't have said his name. Um, how did things go? The Lord knew I would make that mistake. That's why 180's already been sent out. <laughs> I said, how did practice go? He said, Dad, I didn't have it today. I said, what's wrong, man? He said, man, I felt dehydrated. Oh, you were dehydrated, huh? The truth of the statement or the need to drink water was relevant to them from my perspective because of how much energy they were burning at practice. But because of the miscommunication, because he thought I was trying to keep a good thing like a soda or orange juice away from him, he couldn't hear me communicate that love. As we're looking at the scriptures today, I want us to understand that the fuel behind why God has presented the word, his word to us is so important because it impacts the way that we will receive it. So if we can stand um, I understand the tradition that we have here of standing in reverence of the word. And our primary scripture today is from Acts chapter 20, verse 32. And now I commend you in God and to the word of his grace, which, ab which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for the fact that you communicate with us. I ask, Lord God, that you will give us a supernatural ability to hear what it is that you're saying. I ask for myself that you will move me out of the way and use me as a tool to communicate your message in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys may be seated. Acts chapter 20 here in verse 32, we're coming to a place where we're finding that Paul is communicating with some leaders from the church of Ephesus or from the city of Ephesus. He's, he's called these leaders to be with him after many various journeys to various um, cities and, and, and towns. And um, on, on his missionaries trips, he has been prompted by the Holy Spirit that now was his time to go back to Jerusalem. 
And what he understood going back to Jerusalem was that it wasn't going to be easy, that it was going to be a lot of hardship and even prison awaiting him. And so he really felt the weight of the fact that he would not be able to see these men again. And so we're kind of coming to the culmination of this conversation as we're diving into verse 32. But I, I want you to realize the background to it because it helps you to understand what he's trying to communicate. I mean, if you've ever been in a situation where maybe um, somebody was leaving, um, you were going off to school and your parents wanted to communicate some ideas, that those words probably are a little bit more weightier than any of the other conversations that they had because they knew that this potentially was the final time that they would communicate with them. Unfortunately, my, my father, he passed away in 2007. And the thing was, he knew he, he had contracted cancer and he, he understood that earlier in the year. Um, he passed away in May. Um, I moved from North Carolina back to Virginia. We, we, we reconnected. Um, I was living with him. But he already had this in the back of his mind while no one else knew. His body didn't show or anything like that. But he, he understood this. And now looking back, I realized that he had, there were certain moments and conversations where he would get extremely serious. He would say, Sean, when you pray, something different happens. Don't ever lose that. Don't ever let that go. He, he would share with me about his, the drive that he had and how he didn't want to stand before God, uh, the, the creator of the universe one day, and have to answer to God when he says, hey, man, why didn't you do X, Y, and Z? And he has to say, I don't know. He was really trying to help me to have a different perspective on life that, that held eternity within it. And he wanted me to understand the importance of it and the urgency behind it. Because these were the final words that he had for me. And likewise, though Paul isn't literally about to die, he understood that he wouldn't see these men, these young leaders who were forging something new in a town that, they, they didn't have a great history of Christianity. There weren't 100 years worth of churches. They couldn't look up some of the church fathers and figure out how, how to do these things. They were forging something brand new in a society that was run by pagan religion. And this was even their own background. And so as we're looking at verse 32 here, a father talking to his spiritual sons about what he wants them to hold most important as he departs from them. And now I commend you, I, I sit beside you, I want you to find of most importance, um, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those that are sanctified. Paul here is letting them know, look, I'm not going to be here for you, but I find it really interesting that his first remark wasn't, hey, John will be around you know, John the apostle, seek out Peter or one of the other apostles. They'll be able to come in. He says, I commend you to God because he wanted them to understand that, man, you're not my disciple, though I'm helping to lead you and I'm helping you in this discipleship process. You're a disciple of Christ and God will communicate with you firsthand. He will help you in this new endeavor. And so as he says that, it's really interesting the title that, that Paul uses as he's describing the word. Because he says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Why didn't he say law? I mean, that's, that's how a Pharisee would have said it. That's how tradition would have said it, that the law, because that's how they refer to the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. Why refer to it 
as the word of grace. And I think we can get a clue from that in in Mark chapter 7, verse 13. Here we find Jesus responding to Pharisees. And the reason why I bring up Pharisees is because Paul, if you're familiar with your history, you know that Saul was his name originally, and he was a Pharisee. He was a part of this kind of religious group that taught the word. They knew the word. They tried to live by the word. They lived by strict practices of trying to to, um, obey the law. And they even set in their own set of regulations and traditions. And Jesus says in Mark 7, 13, in response to why um, they're, they're, they're questioning him about why his disciples didn't wash their hands or following some of those same um, ritual cleanings. And Jesus' response was, thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like that. Because of the perspective that the Pharisees took to the word. And I just jumped way ahead. So that was my first mistake right there. <laughs> Not that you would have known that. Um, but I'm just saying that because um, what I wanted to be able to communicate or to help you to understand is that when we take the wrong perspective of the word, what happens is we come up with different ways of interpretation. As opposed to understanding that the word of God was given to us by grace, what the Pharisees had done is they've heard a set of laws that they tried to heap down and carry up underneath because they thought that salvation was through works and they communicated that to others and so when Jesus is reprimanding them and telling them that you are moving aside the word of God for the traditions of man what he is saying is that you've made so important following these rules that you're not even understanding why God is communicated with you in the first place so Paul decided to use the phrase the word of his grace Because it was communicating something of the nature in which God decided to speak to us. And my first point is that that word of God is fueled by grace. That is the motivation. That is what is behind why God has given us his word. I mean, if you think about the simple fact that we're not even deserving of his word. Genesis chapter 2, we find his strict commandment, very clear. He wasn't, he didn't, he wasn't coded, it wasn't ambiguous. He was very clear with Adam. Don't eat of this tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and you'll be good, man. You can have everything else in the garden. But if you eat of this tree, you will die. He didn't, he, I mean, he was very clear about that. He, this would be your punishment. And likewise for us, Romans 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death. All of us who are falling short of the glory of God, we have to understand that judgment hangs over us. So why does God communicate with us? What is he trying to do? There is mercy that is communicated through his grace-filled words. He is communicating mercy, not just that um, the overall picture, the great gospel that Jesus came and lived the life that we should have lived and, and died the death that we should have died. He's not only communicating that there's eternal life through that blood of Jesus and, and, and proving that he was God right by rising on the third day. It's not just that, but it's also mercy in that he doesn't want us to live lives that don't amount to eternal reward that don't have eternal significance. There's mercy in that because of the way that he is trying to help and construct and and, and guide us if we would have ear to hear. But like teenagers, like young children, sometimes we look at the word and we see it as opposition to the very fun that we want to have. 
because of this perspective that the Pharisees had, that Paul was very intimate with, with regards to, to, to seeing God as a lawgiver that was just heaping up on them regulations to live by, he, he used that phrase, word of grace. I like this, this um, breakdown of the passage by a guy named um, A.W. Pink, um, early 1900s writer, mid-1900s. He says, in communicating the idea behind this verse, yet the gift of his word is an act of pure benignity on his part. Graciousness is benignity. That was a new word for me, maybe for you too. There was nothing whatever outside of God which required him to grant his creatures a written revelation. No, indeed. The great I am finds within himself the springs of all his actions. He takes counsel with none and gives no account of any of his matters. God is exalted above all, fulfilling his own sovereign pleasure, working all things after the counsel of his own will. He is the one absolutely free agent in the universe. Sometimes we can, we can think about God communicating to us his plans and his, his, his desires as kind of almost an entitlement. I mean, shouldn't God tell us how to live? But the reality is he owes us nothing. We have never put him in debt to us. He doesn't, he, he doesn't need um, in any way to, he is not fulfilled. He is not made better because of us. It is an extension of his love that he has chosen to communicate with us. And the reason why I want to hammer this point home that is because I think it raises the value. Like when we understand that it's really because of God's grace that he is even speaking to us, that his, his, his mercy is communicated through grace-filled words, then maybe it, it helps the value of it. I, I tried to use an example of somebody singing a song, and maybe you hear a song and you think it's, it's, it's a beautiful song, but when you recognize that the song has been dedicated to you, doesn't it seem the value go up? How much more when we recognize that God didn't do this out of a sense of obligation, but because he chose to communicate with us, how much more precious do we see this word of God, this word of his grace? Our perspectives need to have the right position. So I know Pastor David last week talked about positioning to hear well, but also to, to be able to get the communication appropriately, we got to understand what is driving, what is the fuel behind it, and it is grace. And as Paul is, has pointed this out to these men at Ephesus, and they're looking at the precipice of trying to lead a church in a community that doesn't know anything about church. They've never been pastors. They don't have dads that were pastors or, or anything like that. They are, they are fresh. They were new to this. They are creating this as they go along. Paul understood what they were facing and um, I think there was something that he communicates in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, where he says, Paul, that is, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And so as we're looking at Acts 20, 32, and he responds and he says, he says that the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. Paul knew intimately that that's what changed him. It was the grace of God. It was the communication that God had given to him. It was God helping him as he went back through the Old Testament after having his Damascus Road experience. 
and seeing the scriptures with fresh eyes from a fresh perspective that he began to see the grace of God in these communications. That God wasn't this tyrant that just wanted to hold people accountable and and if you didn't strictly honor his glory that he would destroy you but that this was a holy God who wanted his children to be holy and so he was trying to draw them to himself that that God's plan of redemption was being unfolded right there in front of him and that Paul had the pleasure of understanding this mystery of the gospel And he could see the culmination of what God had been doing through the ages. And he understood how that changed his life. He understood how the word was fortified to construct. He understood how it could construct a man and make him more Christ-like. I think we find out that the word of God has great abilities. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says in chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I mean, have you ever wondered, and is this God or is this me? Has that question ever come up on the inside of you? Decision that you want to make? You know, the word of God helps us to, to see the difference. That it's in studying the, the word of God. It's in getting to know the things that he has communicated to us. That we begin to see the clear distinction between a creator and the creation. And, and, and this distinction there is, 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 is really good because the reality is bone and marrow it's not an easy thing to separate out. You know, if, if I'm making a decision on, um, I don't know, uh, what I want to do with my money and seeing all of the, the issues that have been going on with the storms and stuff like that, I can, I can donate some money and be generous or I can just save it so I can buy the latest pair of, my, um, uh, pair of Jordans um, spend a couple of hundred dollars on a new pair of shoes just because I like them. I think that there's easy to make the distinction and say, I think God would rather me be generous and sow into someone else than just to get another pair of shoes that I don't really need. But what happens when it's a little bit more tougher than that? What happens when, as a, as a husband looking out for his his wife and, and a father as a, looking over his family. What about when it comes to decisions that need to be made in terms of the direction we should go? Years ago, before um, I came here to um, the Northern Virginia area, grew up in this area, so I don't want to make it seem like I never was here, but I was living in Williamsburg. That's where I met my beautiful wife and, and my mother-in-law is here t- today as well. Um, that's where I met um, the Spence family. And one day, 2009, actually, I was coming out of a church service, and I heard really clearly that God said, man, it's time to go. It's time to get ready to become a pastor. 
And so my heart kind of sank. I'm like, oh, man, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? Where do I go? Where do I go? Where do I go? And so I told my wife, I said, I mean, I think God is telling us it's time to move. And she said, what do you mean it's time to move? I don't know anything about moving. I don't know where we're going. Where do you want to move to? Do we know people there? I need to go somewhere where I know where people live. But, see, I had a military background, so picking up and moving was nothing for me. Hey, you know, we're friends. I'm glad to see you. But I know in three years from now, I'm going to be somewhere else. So, hey, you know, this this is the kind of pattern of life that I have. So I'm like, hey, we'll find friends. (laughs) It'll be okay. We'll work it out. Will we have family there? We don't need family. You know, we lived all the way in Alaska. We didn't have no family out in Alaska. It was just me, my mom, and my brother. You know, we will make it happen. So just from my own perspective, I thought, Okay, God, you you told me this is what you need me to do. You obviously want me to go to Bible college. So I told Christy really quickly, hey, I want to go to Oklahoma. I want to go to Oral Roberts University. We're going out there. She says, there is no way on God's green earth I (laughs) am going to live somewhere that's called the Tornado Valley or Tornado, the, the Beltway. I forgot what it's called. Tornado Alley, that's what it's called. She's, I refuse to live somewhere where there's that many tornadoes. And plus, I don't have any family out there. Family is extremely important to her. But God, God told me it was time to leave. This is where we need to go. How do I discern that? How do I discern, am I hearing from God? Or maybe is God speaking through my wife in this moment? And I remember distinctly, because of spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, and it wasn't a verse that jumped out. But because I spent time in the word of God, I began to understand his voice. And I was driving down the street. I was, there's a street called Second Street. There's a restaurant called Second Street. It was all right there, I remember. And God said, consider your wife's career. It's not a scripture, but it was something that God spoke to me inside. And I instantly knew we were coming here. And I said, God, I don't want to go to Northern Virginia. I don't want to go back to D.C. I want to go down south because if we make a certain amount of money there, we can live in a better lifestyle than we live in D.C. because it's so expensive. Consider your wife's career. I knew where we were coming. And God has been constructing and architecting my life ever since. And not just my own. I've seen my wife kind of, it's, it's, it's just been amazing to see how God has used various things in her life to take her from um, she's an engineer. I told you I married above myself. She's an electrical engineer. She worked on, on, on Navy ships and worked on defense systems, and she enjoyed that. But because she heard the word of the Lord and, and she took an opportunity and became a project manager, and it led to a job, as God told me to consider her career, led to a job that was in Chantilly, which wasn't too far. And maybe some other time I'll tell you how we got to Grace because it's connected. But she was there at a company called Audiovisual Systems. And from there, she got a job at, at George Mason. And I'm seeing this, 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 this amazing transformation that has taken place where the joy and the satisfaction in the work that she has because of following the word of the Lord, because we've devoted ourselves to hearing from the word of God, that she is finding fulfillment in the work she's doing despite opposition, despite things that, you know, some of you women may be aware of that men, we, we may be oblivious to of, of the fact that you don't get treated the same. You don't get paid the same or recognized for the same work that a man does. But despite some of that, despite the, the obstacles of being a minority at her job or any of the other issues that she may be facing, she comes home with a level of joy because God has connected her to something that he has placed deep down inside of her that is blossoming out. That she's working in the field that she has such a passion for. 
It's the word of God that has that ability to separate out what's him and what's you. And when we hear him and we understand that it's fueled by grace, that he's communicating it to you, we can follow it, even though we don't always understand where we're going. Or, in fact, we don't want to go that way. When we understand that it's fueled by grace. The word of God isn't just that, um, that it, it separates out this you versus God, but also as Joshua 1 um, communicates this idea that the book of, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Paul understood that these men who were facing trials he he talks to them in the same conversation before that and they're they're going to be wolves that are going to come in they're going to be various people who are going to come against the message of the cross and they're going to try to ingratiate themselves within to your community and they're going to want to tear down what you are building up but Paul understood that meditating on the word having it full right place in your life guarantees success Joshua was in a similar situation. I mean, can you imagine the great leader Moses? You have to take over for him. I mean, I mean, it's one thing to lead millions of people. That 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 in and of itself has great pressure, right? You you want to make sure you get it right. But you've just had the example of Moses as the leader, and you got to come in behind him. How intimidating would that be? Maybe maybe I'm the only one that would be intimidated by that. But this man who had taken them from literal slavery, he, they seen the great, they seen the Red Sea open up. I mean, miracle upon miracle upon miracle. Now you have to step in that place. And God says, if you keep my word before you, you will have good success. You will be prosperous. There's a guarantee that comes along with this fortified construction, that, that, that this building will be built, that God will build you into the image that, or, or bring you to the desired destination if we have ear to hear his word, if we understand the position by which it is being communicated to us. And so the word architects and builds our lives. The word helps to answer the questions of why am I here? What is my purpose? God gives these answers within the word. And he helps us to be able to see how culturally we may esteem certain things and God can, can kind of tear those things down because of wisdom that he has given to someone else as the Holy Spirit has inspired men to communicate messages. I think it's, if you ever have a chance to read Ecclesiastes, um, King Solomon is, um, is communicating um, some of the wisdom that he's had. And, and he's, he's going through a, a weird space in his life, so you got to kind of disregard that. But one of the things that he communicates and, and that we have to understand is that he has more money than any probably anybody on the planet. He's had more women than any man could ever have. He's had bigger parties than we could ever imagine. He's done everything that our flesh wants to do, and he's done it a thousand times greater than we could ever do. And he gives an outline of what those outcome is, what that outcome is, meaningless, meaninglessness. We can learn 
these wisdoms without having to live out these experiences because the word of God will architect our lives. It will design it out for us, but also it constructs, it builds into us as it's giving us purpose. It also builds in the character and the perspective on life that we need that we can truly, truly, truly find satisfaction and joy. Not what the world presents, but real satisfaction and joy. My final point is that as as Paul was communicating to these young leaders, he says that not only is the word able to build you up, it's also, or in in the way that the scripture reads is, and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word of God, the word of his grace is furnished for a future. Revelations 21 and 3 says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. We have a tremendous future ahead of us. The reason why we should be able to strive on a daily basis to complete the race that God has given to us is because of the hope that sets before us that we will dwell with God forever and that he will be our God and we will be his people. That this position of relationship that we have with him now won't compare to what it's like when we see him face to face, when we will be made like him. There is a glorious inheritance that is coming that the word presents and helps us to understand and that if we will follow, um, if we will hear with the words or the ears of, of God speaking through grace and mercy being communicated through his words, we will take advantage of that inheritance. But also there's an inheritance here in this present day and age. Ephesians 1, um, God says that there's an inheritance in the saints. God has placed something on the inside of each of us who call Christ our king. Peter says it this way in First. Peter chapter 4, verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Family. We have opportunity to build something that's totally different than what the world has. In particular, in this setting, as diverse as we are, We have the opportunity to share our experiences with each other, our gifts, not just preaching from the front or being able to sing, but our gifts of hospitality, of administration, um, our love for children. We're we're able to share these things. We're able to share from our mistakes and and, 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 and the wisdom that we've gained through through life's experiences. Um, I had an opportunity to sit down with one of the members of the church um, Mr. Williams, and he was sharing with me his his thoughts on education and things that he has done with his children. He has two kids who went to Ivy League schools, and they're 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 just awesome. They've graduated. They're they're awesome. And one of the things that I asked him though was like, how did he help them to? How did they decide which schools that they wanted to go to? And he says, what do you mean? I was like, you know, how did they choose what school that they wanted to go to? And he said, what do you mean they chose? What do you mean they chose? Why would I allow an 18-year-old who doesn't know anything to make such an important decision? I told them where they were going to go. And it had me thinking about my own life. 
I had a I had an opportunity when I was in college. I was a decent high school student, and I had an opportunity to go to a school called Rochester Institute of Technology. So it was a really good kind of school. I wanted to do computer engineering. It was, it was a pretty good school. And there was also North Carolina A&T, which is the greatest school on the planet. It certainly is. And I'm thankful that I went there. <laughs> and my mother, I'm sure, had other reasons why she agreed with me to go to North Carolina A&T versus RIT. But the reality is if I put RIT on a, on a resume versus North Carolina A&T, Someone would sit up in their chair a little bit and say, hey, man, this guy really knows something because this is one of the top-rated schools versus A&T where that may not be. It may be some other part of the process. My mother, in helping me to make decision, I'm sure she had other things in mind as, as to why she agreed to North Carolina A&T. But for your boy, it was more because when we went, please forgive me, but when we went, some young female, a number of them said, oh, he has some pretty eyes. <laughs> I mean, the school is great. But somebody told me that I have pretty eyes, and I said, hey, this is where I need to be. <laughs> In my 18-year-old mind, as smart as I thought I was, what a dumb way to make a decision. And so the reality of what Mr. Williams was telling me that at 18, we're not in a sufficient position to be able to really make good decisions, it hit home. And I said, why would I ask Christopher and Kristen, where do they want to go? If they just say because they like the football team, hey, bro, that's not a good enough reason. You need to go and do some research and come back and give me a good reason why you want to go to that school. Otherwise, I will, in conjunction with my, my wife, we will make that decision for you. Because we understand the importance that school holds, especially in our culture here in America. Why do I share that story? It's because it's within community of the believers. It's us um, apprehending this inheritance that we have now that takes place. Because I don't have any reason to know Mr. Williams other than the fact that God has brought us together in a community of believers. I don't, there, there's no natural path for our lives to cross. I didn't, he's retired. I'm just getting started really in ministry. Um, he has children who are in college. So it's not that our kids met on a campus together or went to, to, we played on the same youth football team or something like that. There was no natural reason for me to be able to hear that wisdom that has impacted my wife and I and our whole perspective on how we're raising our children and the significance and the way we will go about trying to position our kids to be able to get in to school but it was this inheritance that the word of God brings to bear for us as we learn how to do life together not being uh, uh, a spring salad I love that example um, Ryan and I were at NYU and going up there to be able to do a, a quick missions trip to NYU to share the faith and one of the leaders at the school from the Every Nation Campus Ministry um, she said that New York or that particular part of New York was a, like a spring salad. And I don't want us to be like that spring salad. What do I mean? A spring salad, you see all the ingredients because they don't come together. It's like you have your lettuce, you have your tomato, you have your onions, but they retain their own form. They're not impacted in any way by the other parts of the salad. But we should be more of a melting pot where your strengths begin to flavor this kind of gumbo that God is putting together 
that you 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 still retain who you are on some level, but you've added something to the pot that at the end of the day you begin to just sop up the sauce because it tastes so good. If 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 we <laughs> if, if you haven't had gumbo, I'm sorry for you. You gotta get some. You gotta get gumbo. That's on my mind. Maybe we can get some or something. I don't know, but it 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 is something about that that soup that when it's done right. Oh my goodness! I've I've um. I was in the military, friends, we had some, a friend from New Orleans, he made some authentic, he, he got a great recipe, and we were down to the end of it, and man, you talk about two guys almost getting in this straight up physical fight. Hey man, you done got, you done, what are you doing, man? Stop putting the bread in there, it's my turn. <laughs> Arguing, man, it was so good. How much greater is, is what God trying to create with us as we share experiences. People here have been all around the world. You, you have different positions in companies and you've different experiences that if we would not be a spring salad, but if we would be a gumbo and, and kind of allow our flavors, our strengths to come together, if we get out of our comfort zones and begin to communicate with someone who doesn't look like you or, you know, maybe you've never had gumbo. Maybe we need to hang out so that you can get gumbo one day in your life, right? Maybe that happens. Maybe you have a dish that I've never had to my palate have been blessed by yet. And so you need to communicate that with me as well, right? How much of this inheritance, this beautiful inheritance that God has made available to us through the word of God? What Paul wanted these young leaders to understand was that God was communicating from a place of grace. And that it was so, it's so important for them to understand that. And so he doesn't use the phrase, the law, that comes with some other kind of thoughts behind it. He wanted them to recognize that the mere fact that this moral free agent, this sovereign God has chosen to speak to us. And it was fueled, God's word is fueled by his grace. And if we hear it from that perspective, if we don't hear, God, Dad, I don't want you to, tell me I can't have soda. If you, if, if my son would heard, hey, hey, son, I don't want you to have, I don't want you to get dehydrated, so drink water. If he would have heard that, maybe he would have drank the water. But he heard, hey, dad, why are you trying to keep me from the good stuff and want me to have that plain stuff? If we will hear that God's word is fueled by grace, then we will be able to see that it's fortified for construction. We will see that these words that are communicated to us aren't just to tell you the, what's the, what you should do or what you shouldn't do, but how to do life, how to bring glory to God and how that will ultimately be your greatest satisfaction. And that this word of God will bring you to an inheritance in the future, a glorious future that we can live for and live in light of and that we can um, deny ourselves because of and that it also allows us to to experience an inheritance now because of the family of people that he has brought around us that help us to find purpose. Let's pray.